Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 218 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here, as always, to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks so much for being with us this week, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. Here at MTB Tribe, we are super excited to introduce you to our new brand called Alta. Alta is a range of mountain bike clothes and accessories dedicated to make mountain biking easier. Our gear is designed to be practical, stylish and environmentally friendly. Our best-selling trail changing robe will keep you warm and dry while you're getting changed in and out of your riding gear. And our other pieces work just as well on the streets as they do on the trails. We are a young, young brand, but we are making big strides. We are planning new products, lots of stuff being worked out with manufacturers. We're bringing everything to you very ethnically, very environmentally friendly, recycled, upcycled, all natural materials and we're just trying to do our best for the trails we love and for all the community there who loves riding trails on bikes keeping you guys comfortable when you're in and out of your gear so please go check us out you will find us at ridealta.com or check us out on socials at ride.alta your support would be muchly appreciated now in this week's episode I'm not really sure how to introduce our guest because Marcus Stitz has done so much, so, so much on two wheels. He's just released a new book called Great British Gravel Rides. He's founded Bikepack in Scotland. He's competed in ultra enduro races, competing in the Silk Road Mountain Race and the Highland Trail 550, plus lots, lots more. I was going to read you the blurb from his new book, Great British Gravel Rides, but I think I'll let Marcus tell you more about himself than me reading a caption from his new book. Um, And it would take a while because the guy's done so much. Like Marcus has travelled around the world on two wheels and has documented much of it in his way. Uh, We chat to him about his upbringing in Germany and what got him interested in bikes at an early age. Marcus tells us about how living in New Zealand sparked his love for bikepacking and travel adventure. And we get into this and much, much more, including exciting plans he has for the near future. The man does not stop. He's passionate about two wheels, just loves getting on his bike in all weather. We chat about riding in the snow, etc., etc., Marcus is now based in Scotland, so he knows a lot about snowy conditions and stuff there. So it was great to get him on the podcast. Some great stories, some great adventures. So without further ado, I will stop talking. I will let Marcus do the majority of the talking from now on. And welcome Marcus Stitz to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Hey Marcus, welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. How's things with you this evening? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, I just had a lovely cycle to Edinburgh um, from the office home. So, yeah, nice evening. Brilliant. How long does that take you, that commute? Um, if I would go this trade way, I would say 15 minutes. But um, I just kind of, I, I like to like to explore a little bit. So I just follow it. There's new tram lines um, coming in. Um, so I just kind of try to cycle. <laughs> the path of the tram lines which is almost possible um, so 
So adding a little bit of off-road into a very urban commute is, is good fun. Ah, yes, yes, cool. So you're doing that on the gravel bike, are you? Yeah, yeah mostly. Yeah, that's what I'm normally riding in town. I've got a few bikes, but yeah, that's kind of the go-to bike at the moment. And yeah, it's just it's just quite nice. There's some bits along the route where you can take a cycle path and there's bits you can substitute by by, by three gravel paths. And yeah, it's it's just nice to mix it up every now and then. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, listen, thanks so much for coming on. It'll be awesome to get a chat with you about mm-hmm. your book and about everything else you've done because you've done a lot of stuff on two wheels. Like, you're, you're stuck to that saddle, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say. Um, although it's interesting because I think um, I I haven't gone, like, your usual path, you know, cycling a lot as a child and then going down the club route and then, possibly later in life seizing i think my my journey has been um slightly different that i picked up a mountain bike at the age of um i'm just thinking about at the age of 20 um mm-hmm. probably um i cycled as a child i grew up in germany so cycling as a child is is pretty normal i think um but you know to know like no distances or whatsoever and then i lived in um in the Thuringian forest in in germany which is actually quite a quite a good mountain bike area and yeah just kind of take it from there and then it's been coming and going in phases um and yeah did that um i think the the biggest well the biggest adventure so far i think it's going to be hard to top as well it's just cycling around the world on a single speed mountain bike and then since then i made cycling pretty much my job so um yeah now it's a mixture of I think I'm now at the stage where I sometimes call it, I'd quite like to cycle for pleasure a little bit more than just doing it for a job. Um, but it's possibly, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very noble problem to have. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. And I want to chat to you a wee bit later about your, your round the world mm-hmm. cycle there on a single speed and all. That, that will be crazy. Um, but yeah, you grew up in Germany. Now, just a quick question. Are the trails and stuff in Germany, are they quite strict about where you ride over there? Um, depends on where you are in Germany. So Germany is one of it's it's a bit like in the UK where you've got access rights which are different in England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then multiply that by four, and you've got Germany because it's um, sixteen federal states who all have their own access restrictions. Um, some are so Thuringia, where I spent most of my life, and where my family is based, is pretty generous. Um, it's not as unrestricted as scotland for example is but then scotland's mm-hmm. kind of at the top of the list when it comes to you know why to roam and things like this yeah. um you can so over there you are allowed to cycle on on trails which are trails already so you couldn't build your own train in a forest um mm-hmm. but if there is an existing trail then you you're you're free to cycle that there's a few minor restrictions to that as well but like general rule of thumb that's what it is um, yeah. but then there's also, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not too up to date with the, with the trail access, but I know that there are some states in the South, for example, where you only allow to cycle paths, which are wider than two meters, I think. So like it, yeah, it kind of really depends on where you are. And I also, you know, I think to a certain extent also 
like where you are in terms of people you know if it's a really popular yeah. destination with loads of people going there then you will normally find that access is a bit more restricted and a bit more regulated whereas um when when i where i studied in um is a town called Ilmenau, which just actually hosted the german downhill world uh mm-hmm. down, the german downhill championships um a number of times um they you know Around about there, there's, uh, you know, you find plenty of trails in the forest where people, people ride their bikes. And as long as that's in a, I don't know, you know, if, as long as people are nice to other trail users, then normally I, I never had any issues over there, but you know, sometimes a bit of a gray area. Yeah. Yeah. I was just interested in that because, you know, your book, Great British Gravel Rides, you, you're based in Scotland now for people that don't know, but I was just thinking, you know, your speciality gravel riding, like there's some of the rides in this book well over a couple of hundred kilometers. And I was thinking, well, if you were doing that in Germany, you know, would you have an issue gravel biking in Germany with the restrictions and stuff? But I suppose you could, from listening to what you were saying there, you could link a lot of these places up and still have a really long ride. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. And um, when I, so I, th- I think it is interesting how you go through stages in your life as well. So um, in lockdown, or like you know, between the two lockdowns in 2020, I went over to Germany because I was working on a film project with twelve tires, and um, I cycled 700 kilometers. I don't know what that in miles is. Um, too many. <laughs> too many. Quite a lot. Um, along the former Iron Curtain, um, and um, mostly on, mostly on, well, I would say possibly 50-50 tarmac, and the rest was gravel. Um, and and a lot of the gravel trails in Germany, and I, it's the same pretty much in every country. Um, this is why I, a lot of the work I'm doing is I always try to look into all the maps, into the history of a place, because you'll find out a lot where to go based on that. So in Germany, there's some some long-distance trading routes, for example, um, one of them connecting Nuremberg and Erfurt, and there's a couple of things. So those are old historic routes where people used to drive their horse carts or mm. um, kind of get from A to B, and, and, and they are normally... Yeah, some of them have been tarmacked over, and some of them have become motorways um, or whatever. But there's a lot of historical routes still existing, and they are normally um, really good for riding off road because you you know you get a like people people a hundred a hundred fifty years ago they kind of kind of needed to get from one populated place to another one, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so. This is a good, it's it's a good starting point. So there's a lot of gravel you can ride um, in Germany. I think it's one of those places which is, which is very underappreciated sometimes, I think, for like, mm-hmm. I think when you think about mountain biking in Europe, if you come from the UK, you possibly head to the Alps. Um, that's, you know, you know, by no means Germany, I think there's a section in Germany, which is in the Alps as well, but it's just a small part. Um, um, and then there's other popular destinations, um, but I think like if you're not if you don't have the local knowledge, you possibly wouldn't end up in Germany as as as, yeah. as your choice. Um, but a lot of the work I've been doing, and I think this is also something that's coming across in the book, is I I honestly believe that if you want to ride your bike off road, um, then often those places that don't get too many people visiting are the best places because. Um, you've got much more flexibility in terms of getting accommodation. Um, normally, 
access isn't as strict as as in places where people are piling piling on top of each other. Um, mm-hmm. You you often get a very authentic experience. You know, you meet local people. People are much much more welcoming to incoming people in those places than they are at you know places where, quite frankly speaking, people don't need extra people there. This is plenty of them. Yeah. Um, and you know that's what I what I tend to. This is where I tend to go in Scotland, and it's the same in Germany when I cycle the Iron Curtain. Um, it's one of those places where you know you come to villages they don't even have a pub, which just logistically is sometimes a bit challenging because that used to be one of those places in Germany which has a long, long history of being divided, and and therefore the infrastructure is quite limited. Um, but it's like whenever you find a place to stay and you meet some interesting people, they're quite curious about you and you get you get to know the most interesting stories along the way. So, yeah. And I'm like from, you know, based on my experience from going around the world, that's pretty much the same in every country. You know, the more remote, wow. you, you more, the more you go off the beaten track. Um, if you know what you're doing, I think it's a bit of a um, asterisk disclaimer to that as well. You know, I think in order to do that, <laughs> You know, you need to be, obviously, you need to, you know, you need to know what you're doing. You, you need to have, like, basic, basic skills in order to be self-sufficient. Yeah. But it's all common sense and most of the time. And, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, you know, looking back a wee bit at your at your timeline you know when mm-hmm. did you when did you really get interested in, in two wheels? Because I knew, or I know that you were living in New Zealand for a time. Like when mm-hmm. did you the adventure bug kind of catch you? Can you fill us in on that a wee bit? Yeah. Um at university. Um that was in Irvine in Germany. Um I had a that's where I picked up that's where I picked up my first mountain bike. Um and then started my first longer mountain bike ride was um about a hundred kilometers mm. long. Um, and then from there, um, it gradually built up. So I was doing some longer stuff over there. Then I moved to Scotland. Uh, oh, didn't move to Scotland. <laughs> I was working at the Fringe Festival. Um, so I temporarily moved to Scotland for a month each year from 2003 mm-hmm. onwards. And I think that was like, it was partly due to that Edinburgh was really close to Glentress. And like having purpose-built mountain bike trails was something I wasn't really used to in Germany. Germany back in the day still had this discussion, you know, whether or not we should have mountain bikes, whereas Scotland was always much more progressive. Like mm-hmm. was, you know, basically back in the days, decades ahead of, of, of Germany, like purpose-built trails, you know, a mountain bike community. Um, and that combined with my job I was doing at um, Edinburgh, which was working at the Fringe, was a really good incentive to come over here. And then when I finished university, I went to New Zealand in 2007 to live there for two years. Um, oh. and, and I think that was, that's where I really got into long-distance cycle touring, off-road touring. Um, I, my, I did my first longer trip in Scotland in 2006. And when you look back now, possibly you would possibly say that was a bikepacking trip. Um, mm. Although, you know, it's carrying everything in a big Toyota Transalpine backpack, um, <laughs> camping, <laughs> camping, and getting stung by midges, and learning how to eat porridge 
and mm-hmm. stuff like this. So I think it's like that trip was very much been thrown into the deep end. Um, but it was quite just learning, learning, learning a lot in three weeks. Um, but I think it was really New Zealand where I like got really into mountain biking. And again, New Zealand <clears throat> back when I moved there, I moved to Wellington and I, like Wellington had a trail center basically in, in town. Um, yeah. And I was based on, um, kind of on a little bit so wellington the geography of wellington is very similar to san francisco and you've got like a lot of the city is basically um on little mountains splattered around the coast um so it's ideal for mountain biking because you know you kind of you don't climb super high but you climb high enough to have a really nice downhill to get some Mm -hmm. Um, and there's loads of little urban trails there and kind of fire roads and yeah it's just it's just a really cool place to ride bikes and 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 I think in a way that that those two years in, in New Zealand have also inspired the book now because I stumbled across um the Kenneth brothers who've written um Great New Zealand Mountain Bike Rides, which has is now two books, um, and various other guidebooks now as well. And I always loved their approach. They were um very informative um sense of humor in there as well um and and kind of created so you i was basically in my time in my two years in new zealand i was working myself through the kenneth brothers books <laughs> trying to write <laughs> as many trying to write as many trails as possible um and and over there i think which is interesting is that was in um 2007 2008 2009 that's when the whole single speed thing was was kind of having a pretty big revival. Okay. Um, and I always wondered why people like there was a there was a really big single speed scene in Wellington, um, and in New Zealand in general because you got pretty um, pretty challenging weather conditions um, mm-hmm. at times. Like it doesn't you know like you don't get any snow in Wellington, but it does rain quite often and it can be quite quite. Red. It's a bit like the UK in winter, you know, mm-hmm. it can be quite miserable to ride your bike. So I think you've got a choice um, about having your fancy mountain bike and riding that all year long and spending a small fortune on parts, or you've got your single speed, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right? it, like, I think Wellington to me at times really much, although, you know, I've never experienced that, but it kind of felt like the community over there, like the early, the early beginnings of mountain biking in in uh, north of San Francisco. People mm-hmm. just, people just out riding their bikes because they wanted to ride bikes and they had a whole lot of fun. There were no conventions. There was nothing. You know, there was no etiquette. Whatever. You could just be one of them, and it was it was great for me because I when I moved to New Zealand, I I knew no one there. Like I came as a total stranger, and it took. I don't know, not even four four weeks, and I knew half of the bike shop in Wellington and had riding buddies. <laughs> um, and they were all super, super skilled mountain bikers as well. So I think if you look at like my riding skills, like they they went up <laughs> quite in a steep curve because you know in order to keep up with them, you just you simply had to know how to ride your bike. Yeah. So yeah. So I think it's like this is kind of an and then when I came back to Scotland, um, it, it kind of felt like, you know, I think the, the, the step from, from, from New Zealand over to Scotland isn't, isn't, isn't too drastic. Mm. Um, but similar countries, um, I, I always, like, there's a, there's a phrase 
calling New Zealand, Scotland on steroids. And it's kind of true. If you go to central Otago, for example, on the South Island, um, it pretty much looks like the Scottish Highlands. Right, just, wow. everything, just everything is, is, is a thousand meters higher and they've got vineyards. Um, so <laughs> wow, and snow <laughs> resorts. Yeah, yeah, and snow resorts, yeah. <laughs> Although you get them in Scotland as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just kind of like, I think it is kind of like, I think it's like, for me, it is, I, I love living in New Zealand and, and it's a fantastic place, but it was always a little bit too much on the other side of the world for me because yeah, a lot yeah. of my roots are in Europe. Um, and, and kind of coming to Scotland felt like, you know, there is pretty much everything here I loved about New Zealand, the whole outdoors lifestyle. Um, um, and it's actually like, Looking at this right now, Scotland is much, much better in terms of access. You're much more limited in New Zealand. There's, really? Um, oh, okay. Access in national parks. There's normally no no cycling there. There's a few exceptions to that right now. Um, but yeah, so it kind of, you know, it kind of felt like it was a it was a pretty smooth transition then heading to Scotland and mm-hmm. since yeah got stuck here since 2009. Stuck in a really good way. yeah like new zealand's interesting to me because they have lots of trail centers now like that has blown up over there like some of the resorts there are amazing and then they obviously have surfing there as well and and snow resorts so you've kind of got everything there um and am i right in saying that wellington's the north island yes the southern tip of the north island but yeah yeah okay And then everything, like the snow resorts and all, are all on the South Island, aren't they? Not all of them. Uh, there's one on the oh, North okay. Island as well. Um, so you've got, yeah, most of them are in the, in the South. But um, you've got the volcanoes on the North Island as well. And actually the, the highest road is on the North Island as well, if I'm not entirely... No, that's not true. Um, but you go, you go f- far 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 enough up you you know yeah. i think the north goes up to almost three thousand meters as well um, yeah so, wow um, yeah beautiful. but you've got much more you've got much more people on the north island than you have on the south island so it's basically three three quarters live on the north island and one quarter lives on the south island yeah so wow, the south wow. Is much more rural yeah um so you moved to scotland in about 2009 mm-hmm. um when was your around the world trip then? When did you decide to do that? That was in 2015. So I left in oh, September right. 2015 and came back in August 2016. So there was, they're kind of connected because um, I, so as I mentioned, a lot of my, um, like my, my circle of friends in New Zealand was basically split 50 50 between people who worked in the creative industries and people who worked in bike shops or were racers or had anything to do with bikes because uh, I was head of marketing at a theater. Um, and um, yeah, in my free time, I was mostly mostly spending my, most of my time on bikes. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy, I don't know if you know, there's a book called The Veluminati Rules, which is um, like the Bible for road cyclists. Um, and is basically a big piss take on road cycling etiquette and what to do and what not to do. Um, and but Brad, who Brad Kennedy, is one of the authors. Um, <laughs> um, on the last night before I left, 
um, I told him like next time I'm going to come back to New Zealand, I won't take the plane all the way. Um, and that was basically <laughs> literally saying to him, look, like I, I, I had this idea of doing a longer trip on the bicycle in my head. Um, and I, I was always, the plan for me was always, I'm going to move over to, 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 to Edinburgh for a while. And then I cycled back from Edinburgh to Dunedin, which is in the, in the on the South Island, which is the old name for for Edinburgh. And basically, Dunedin has has the same climate almost as Edinburgh as well, um, and and the same street names. It's it's a bit bizarre because there's not much. <laughs> there's not much like if you come to Dunedin and you don't know any of that, you'll possibly see the old go. Uh, the, the odd go someone's having a go at creating a Scottish pub which uh -huh. isn't really Scottish um, but yeah it's just so I had this idea like at some stage I'm going to move to the UK um, move to Scotland spend a bit of time there and at some stage um, I'm going to I'm going to head back and, and take take I don't know how, how, how long it will will take to cycle back and I think the idea then was when I you know this is like it's one of those plans and i'm pretty sure there's plenty of people out there who are the same is you've got an idea and there's always something that takes more prominence in your life um i was i was working temporary contracts for a while um always with the view it's like if i'm gonna take a temporary contract i'm just not gonna settle down too much and i always have an mm -hmm. excuse to get away um But then, as you know, life life is just simply catching up, and the years are are running past. So um, I, I then, at some stage, decided now enough's enough. Um, you know, if if I want to do this trip, a it doesn't matter. Like if you take half a year or a year off, like it's the, the most the most difficult decision is to make the decision that you're actually going to yeah. take time off. You know, once you're on the road, it, it's. It's just, I think it's, just, I, I do understand why people end up spending years and years and years on the road because it's quite an easy life. Um, but making that first step is, is the most difficult one. And then I felt like I could, you know, I could, I could go, go from Edinburgh to, to New Zealand, but I could also come back. And that was basically then the round the world trip. And the first person I met in Wellington when I arrived was Brett, um, who, um, yeah, was waiting outside the bike shop for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I told him because when we when I left, like so, he's a writer. He's a very creative person, but he's also got a razor sharp memory. And I knew if I, even though we had a few points in the pub, if I tell him I'm going to do this, he'll going to take me up. He's going to question me about this all the time. And so he did. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I think, in a sense, is like I think for me that was the commitment needed to kind of say, look. I can have this as a running joke for the rest of my life, but someone's always taking me, you know, you remember this idea of cycling around the world. Or at some stage, you're kind of just going to go like, you know what, I'm just going to do this now. You know, there's never a right time to do things. So, yeah, it was a, it was a lovely feeling sitting outside with him, having yeah. a beer and say, look, look, I, you know, I made it happen. Yeah, wow, amazing, amazing. And like, why did you decide to do it in a single speed? I think well, I, I think the most obvious reason is the simplicity. Um, I started writing writing single speed, funnily enough, after my time in New Zealand. Um, okay. Back back in Wellington, I, I you know I quite liked the idea of a single speed, but I was simply 
trying to limit the bikes I own because I knew at some stage I need to fly them back or I need to sell them or whatsoever. Um, and yeah, and then when I came back to Scotland, I started riding single speed in 2010 and, and I loved it. And I quickly found out that um, it's so much better for your riding technique. It's so much better for your fitness. Um, and it gets it gets you pretty much everywhere. Like, you know, there's the odd bit of pushing involved in it. And yeah, of course, you can't ride the super gnarly, super steep uphill. But then the, the question is, you know, if you're, if you're riding in a super cranny gear, you know, you might as well get off and push. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's possibly quicker pushing your bike up the hill, but this, that, that might upset some purists. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, like, when it came to the idea, so I had made the decision I'm going to cycle around the world, and then I just had to decide on a bike. And um, back then, I got friends, uh, became friends with Charlie the Bike Monger, who for years and years and years was kind of the single-speed dealer slash supplier in the U.K., um, and then I also um, became friends with Pat Jocelyn, who back in the days was the brand manager for Surly Bikes. Mm. Um, and I had this conversation with Pat um, about which bike to take. And it was quite simple. He said to look, you, you can ride single speed. Like you've got, the, you, you've got the legs to do it. Why, why, why would you want to make your life more difficult? And that, that was basically the decision where I said, look, like literally this is, this is, I'm very likely not going to end up riding some super gnarly whatever stuff. You know, it's around the road bike. I've got stuff strapped on my bike. You yeah, know, I'll, yeah. I'll cycle a certain distance each day. What I'm the sort of person who I love cycling, but I I don't want to spend half of my time fixing things or making sure that everything's well maintained. I'm I'm the sort of person who is kind of dropping a bike in a shed in the evening. And picking it up the next morning, putting some loop <laughs> on the chain and checking the tires, and then how do you go? Like this is like I'm not. I could you know I'd never be a good reviewer of people. Like I admire people like this who kind of like know all the technical detail. I know what's going on in a bike, and I I got a good idea of what's happening in the bike industry. But that's about it. I know as much as I need to know. Um, yeah, for me, yeah. cycling. The the thing for me, like the reason why I cycle is 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 to meet people to go to interesting places um and and so a single speed bike had two wheels handlebars and yeah it was just it was it was enough to 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 get around the world so and so it's a simplicity and i guess there was a there was an there, there was a um degree of novelty in there as well as far as i know no one had done a trip like this on a single speed bike so um wow. and there was no discussion about breaking a record or something like this. Um, um, so I thought like, you know, that's, that's a cool, that's a cool narrative to tell a story. This is possibly as much as I would go with, 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 yeah. As a reason mm. for that. Yeah. Like it's, it's a big feat to take on something like, like that. Like how do you go about planning that kind of thing? Like, you know, did you sit down with maps? Did you plan, routes did you plan timings you know had you any support anything like that like how do you go about doing something like that not really no um i handed in my so i think there was some subconscious planning going on you know in my head leading up to the trip um and the planning is 
was basically, you know, getting as much experience as possible in being self-sufficient, you know, know yeah. how to fix your bike, know how to fix your body. This is the kind of thing. The rest was basically, I handed in my notice in a overnight decision in March. It's the sort of decision you need to make overnight because otherwise you're going to trail about it. Um, and whether or not you made the right decision, you'll find out afterwards. You know, it's just it's no point. In, in, in. So I handed in my notice in March. I had three months notice period. So I finished my job in the middle of June and in September I was on the bike. So basically from... Yeah, July and August were, were there for planning and selling some stuff and getting my flat ready. Um, and then I was on the bike, so there was not much, not like I wouldn't say there was much planning going into the trip. Um, I had a rough idea where I wanted to go. I had a rough idea which countries I wanted to go. Um, I had a really rough idea what what I need in terms of visas. Um, but I didn't apply for any visas um, and I didn't really need any other than Iran um, and a couple of countries where you can just get a stamp on your passport with a German passport. It's quite, e it's quite easy. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. There was like, I would, I would say like, if you look at the trip, I had like two week intervals. So I had to plan a little bit in advance because of the flight. Um, like forward planning with flights because you can't really walk up in a town and book a flight on the day. You can do that, but it's expensive. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to have a little bit of forward planning just mm -hmm. to not having to pay the premium for that. Um, but other than that, what happened in between basically happened on a daily basis. Um, um, and sometimes, you know, I stayed with people, with friends, so they needed a little bit of advance at times. Um, but most of the time, I literally had a rough idea where I'm going to head and, and the rest happened on the day. Wow. That must take some amount of confidence to do something like that, really. You know, yeah. But, that, yeah. but I suppose you had experience of doing big long rides in New Zealand and stuff like that. Like, I suppose, like, I, I'm sure some evenings you were throwing up a tent you were sleeping rough you weren't mm -hmm. always spending time with people and and no, under a no. solar drift wow crazy yeah. and and it's kind of like you know it's i when i look back on the trip now and i think this is the kind of like if you look back so life in that one year was actually really simple um i i, I would i would say that like everyday life is much more complex because you've got relationships you've got a job in most of the cases you know you need to manage like loads of things um on a daily basis whereas if you're on the bike like this you basically you wake up in the morning you're going to cycle a certain distance you need to find some sort of food um and you need to find a place to sleep um mm -hmm. And in between, you make a conscious decision at times whether you want to engage with people or not. Um, and and that's about it. Like, you know, and this is this is why I think this is why simplicity was was quite important for me because I didn't want to be I didn't want to have a complicated bike. So I kind of needed to tailor myself around, you know, where I need to get chains and bottom brackets like my my chain could do 5,000 kilometers my tires on the bike did 20,000 kilometers one set um and that was pretty much all that needed changing on the bottom bracket once um so mm -hmm. it, like keep it simple like the simplicity on the technical side 
gives you much more freedom to kind of then do the stuff. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty experienced when it comes to that. Um, but then I would argue everyone, like you, you can learn those skills, you know, you can, um, the longer you're on the road, the more, I think the more confidence you build because, and, and this is kind of like, which is, I think really important for, 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 I think for life in general. I think because you make your own experiences so you you know everyone's different we're all very different and and you like you learn how you, you spend a hell of time with yourself <laughs> which is I yeah. think that's possibly, yeah. you know, possibly for, for 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 many people quite challenging I'm okay with that I'm I'm, I'm totally fine I'm 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 slightly I'm, I'm I would possibly say I'm extrovert but I can be introvert at the same time. Like I quite like being by myself and I don't, mm-hmm. you know, don't necessarily need to ride in a big group of people. Um, but um, yeah, so like, I, I think that's the, that's kind of like, you know, if you, if you know how, like if you're comfortable in your own company, I think that's the most important thing for a trip like this, because that also means you make good decisions or you, you know, most cases you make good decisions um and you kind of in some shape or form get around the world it's yeah it's quite simple yeah (laughs) (laughs) although other people might argue otherwise (laughs) yeah like uh have you any highs you can remember from the trip uh and any low parts you can remember did you go hungry evenings like you know tell us some of those stories yeah yeah there were some i mean the highest i I loved, so there's two things I loved about the journey, meeting people, interesting people along the way um, and getting to know them, you know, even just spending an evening with some people. But, you know, you you, you understand more about the person um, in terms of places to go. Um, I loved riding across the Nullarbor and the Mojave Desert. Um, I kind of mm. love kind of those big open spaces where you feel very small um, and you kind of really have to yeah i think it sharpens your mind um any any country was 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 in its own little way special it was also quite daunting but also quite satisfying cycling to thailand in what then was the hottest april on record so when we just had the heat wave in in the uk that's the temperatures i had cycled through in in thailand for pretty much most of the time um, and you know it came with its own challenges, but it was also it was a great time. Like you know, you sit outside in the evening at eleven o'clock. It's still twenty-five, thirty degrees. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's kind of like uh, uh, you know, um, like I think the downsides. Well, there was I mean the big big thing, big big event that happened during the trip is that my dad had a bike accident and and subsequently died four weeks later. Oh my! So word. I spent spent four weeks um so i flew back to germany from i was right in the middle of crossing the um crossing the u.s so i did fly back from the u.s spent four weeks at home um and then did fly out again um so there was there was challenging um naturally um and other than that to be honest with you and there are you know there are times and this is just like it's a bike ride like like anything in life, there's times where you've got a cracking time. Um, and then there's times where you kind of go like, oh, I'm not sure why I'm doing this. I think the trick is 
is to kind of, you know, it, it, it just like to kind of really um, live in the moment and not being driven by, because if you, if you have a good day, you know, um, you know that the next day is not going to be as good. <laughs> mm. <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like, well, I'm making most of the great day I have and the great people I meet right now. And if tomorrow is a little bit dull, then so would be it. Um, you know, that also means that my expectations on the next day are much lower. So, you know, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. it's this, it's a, it's, it goes in circles, you know, then there's obviously times where you have an amazing time and there's other bits where I would possibly say that cycling to Bangkok or Hanoi is, wouldn't be the top of my list when it comes to places to cycle. Um, yeah. Just busy, roads busy and stuff or? Yeah, and I think, uh, like, I always saw it as a continu- con- continuous journey. You know, there are places you need to go to in order to get to 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 another place. And, you know, as long as you enjoy what's happening in between, then, yeah, I just, yeah, they were like, it's been it's been a great adventure. And it's been, it's been uh, some of the best times I had in my life. Yeah, yeah. wow. Wow, like, I know you've done ultra enduro racing and, and stuff like that um so you're a fit guy but in doing something like that around the world did you think it played on the fitness side of things more so or the mental side um i think the fitness side is i'm possibly quite gifted with that um that i um i think the physical side is is i would i would suggest it's you know easy to cope with because you can I don't know what I did. I averaged about 130, 140 kilometers a day, um, which mm-hmm. is a lot. Um, but you can, you can, you can cycle that, especially if you cycle for such a long time. You know, you, 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 it, it becomes a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the mental side is possibly much, much trickier. Um, but I think the mental side is also something which I have which has given me so much more for after the trip because um, like you can transfer those, um, those other skills into, into everyday life, you know, I'm running my own business now. And, you know, once you've, I think once you've done something like around the world trip, then you, you know, you can basically have the confidence to take that into anything else further in life. You know, if you manage Mm -hmm. to do Mm -hmm. something. Um, So, yeah, I mean the, I, I, but uh, like I do think that the like and 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 that's the same with bikepacking racing or you know any ultra endurance racing. I would possibly argue that the physical side of things, yes, there are some things you really need to be mindful of. And when I was racing in Kyrgyzstan, for example, I had diarrhea and all sorts of things that did throw a spanner <sighs> into my progress. But on that, the other that's hand, that's the Selk Road mountain race. That one is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but um, and and I think Kyrgyzstan, or like like the Silk Road, is a possibly is a good example for that. You can you can get to that sort of stuff. Like it, you know, it's um, it's so there's a, I think I always look at things like the way trying to make good judgments as far as possible is to kind of like is it uncomfortable or is it life threatening or is it you know I wouldn't do in the endurance side of things I would not push my body beyond um what is physically good for the body so i'm you know i'm getting a little bit older now as well it's just kind of like 
I don't think there's any point in, you know, destroying your body. Mm. But there's a long way to get there, <laughs> especially if you, if you, um, you know, like I, I would possibly, I don't know if I've ever been at a stage where I said like, this is my legs gone shot, whatever. Yeah. Um, getting to that point mentally is possibly much, much easier um, than physically because, you know, there is a lot of you go to, yeah, you go to some dark places sometimes. I mean, when I, when I was in Kyrgyzstan, um, like, at times you are in this totally desolate landscape and and you kind of go like why am i doing this <laughs> but then i think something really good and and i think this is a good thing for endurance racing or any of those trips is like you're doing this voluntary no one has forced you to ride your bike in kyrgyzstan other than you and there was a good reason that you wanted to do it so uh, you know why you temporarily might question that um, that question might be a totally different one the next day. It's the, there's the, it's the golden rule, never scratch at night in bikepacking. And there's a lot of truth in that. You know, it's just like always never make any decisions if you're not in a good place to make a decision. And I would yeah, argue yeah. if you've got diarrhea on a 4,000 meter path in the middle of nowhere in Kyrgyzstan, that's not a good place to make a decision. So quite simple just switch your body back to the very basic primal things of getting food, riding your bike and getting somewhere until you're in a position to kind of engage your brain properly again and then kind of go like, well, should I continue or should I not? Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Crazy. Like, I just can't, I just can't fathom doing something like that. You know, it's just, it's not my DNA almost. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to you guys. Just could go ahead. Um, so tell us a little bit about Bikepack in Scotland, because I know it's a site you've got going mm -hmm. there, which is very interesting. Tell us a little bit about that. So Bikepacking Scotland is basically what I started after the Round the World trip. Um, it's, it's a website, um, but the website is possibly the most um, visible thing, but it has become actually much more than that. So the idea behind Bikepacking Scotland is that I work in Scotland um, with areas, tourism organizations, commercial partners, um, sometimes none of them, um, to develop long distance bikepacking routes. And it has become a little bit broader now um, with, you know, it's, shorter mountain bike routes and um, gravel routes and probably as far as, as road cycling as well. But simple idea is to what you've been describing. I think the whole bikepacking thing can be quite a daunting thing when you start off. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just making it much more accessible is saying, look, you can do all of the research yourself. That's totally fine. But, you know, possibly people are very time poor um, these days. And, so simple concept is I do the work for them and um, kind of try to give people ideas what to do in Scotland on a bike um, and hopefully, yeah, and, and also taking them into places which are, if you look at the routes on the Bikepacking Scotland website, they are not your most obvious Highland castles and, you know, some, yeah, of them, yeah, yeah. some of the bits are in there and I think that's totally cool. Um, but I think there's a whole different side of Scotland that often goes unpublished and um, which I personally found much more interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it's great. And, you know, it's a lovely link with your book. Um, I think the two of them sit very nice together. Um, so let's chat a little bit about your book, Great British Gravel Rides. Yeah. And, you know, I really like what you've done with this book because it's basically a collection of 26 routes um, across, you know, mainly gravel, I suppose. But it's each is a kind of favourite route of a passionate gravel cyclist. Like you've got Grant Wildman on there. You've got Anila McKenna on there, who I had on the podcast, actually. Um, she's a fantastic girl, what she's doing for the bike industry, just to yeah. throw a curveball in there. But, um, yeah, the book sits really nice. Um, and the imagery in it's great. The maps in it are very, very good. It's very user-friendly. I like your statistics, you know, the distances, the ascents, the off-road stuff. You know, it's all very, very good. Like, when did you set out to, to do the book? What what was your thinking behind that? Was that just a thing that came off of the bike pack in Scotland? <laughs> it's possibly say this is a lockdown project in, in the widest sense. Um, I So I, I love writing um, and I love storytelling. And, and I think this is why also the book's become what it has become. Um, and I was initially approached... Um, oh, I, you know, I was still pondering around writing a book about my round the world trip, but then um, my, I think if you look at, at a lot of my work, I'm like, I love, I'm love doing work where I can inspire other people to do something which is not necessarily about me, but there's always an, an element in that as well, which is, you know, which is about a, a personal note. Um, and so I got in touch with Vertebrate um, Publishing um, to ask them whether they had um, interest in doing a Bikepacking Scotland book, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, which might come at some stage. But back back then, we didn't have a discussion about that. Um, and then um, I was then toying the idea of doing uh, a gravel riding in Scotland book, which had been done already by Ed Shute, um, who mm-hmm. I know well, and he's an excellent photographer and writer as well. And I thought, like, that's, you know, that's life. Someone's been quicker, that's okay. Um, and then um, Kirsty, who is the commissioning editor, was uh, saying, so um, what about a book in Britain? Um, and I was initially... No, I wouldn't say I was reluctant, but I was kind of thinking about how can I make this work? Because um, I, you know, my knowledge, like I know Scotland um, inside out. So, you know, doing a guidebook in Scotland would have been an easy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the UK, um, I know fairly well, um, but possibly not well enough to, to um, you know, kind of find what is in the book right now. Um, but then I, I I have a really keen interest in people and their stories, and I and I also do think that um, in order to get more people on bikes or in order to inspire people to do more cycling, I think people identify with people. They do they did they, they don't identify with a trail or a town or a bicycle. You know those are things that enable you to do something, but people want to connect to a person and you know if they if they get an anila is a really good example for that i think Mm -hmm. um anila is a is 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 amazing for the mountain bike world because she inspires more people 
um, into mountain biking that are underrepresented at the moment. And I think they need to see themselves in there, you know, they, mm-hmm. they and, and so I thought like, why, I, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm well connected. <laughs> I, I know people, um, you know, be great to portray those people, portray what they, what their ambition is, what their incentives are to ride, um, where they love riding, which is mostly the town where they live, but not necessarily. Um, and, um, you know, then feature their favorite routes and I can spend time with them to get to know the person. Um, and if I'm doing this, I might as well, um, do a portrait of them because that's what I really loved on my round the world time, spending quality time with people. And the nice thing is if you ride a bike, it's quite an interesting concept because you mainly ride next to each other or behind or in front of each other. Um, and you can have some interesting conversations and both of you are looking forward. So you don't have this eye contact when you kind of sit next to, you know, opposite ends of a table. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was sometimes really interesting because you'll you know there are some things in the book as well um which you know it was great to chat to people about um with anila you know what can we do to get more people of color onto mountain bikes um like the whole women's thing how can we get more women into into riding and one of the reasons why um why i made a very conscious decision that i want to have um an almost equal ratio of men and women in the book because I think mm-hmm. it, it it does need to um, speak to people and and also the other conscious decision was to try to have as many rides as possible starting at train stations so you're not excluding people by default you know anyone who doesn't own a car basically sometimes can't do some of the guidebooks because they're all based on car parking spaces yeah, and interesting. the reality the reality is yeah, yeah a lot of people I mean I I I don't own a car, but if I need a car, I rent one. So, you know, this is the kind of thing, but it's trying to make it as accessible as possible. And, you know, hopefully people find a person in the book, even if they haven't done any gravel riding or mountain biking, um, they'll possibly find someone in the book where they kind of go like, yes, this could be me, you know, and, 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 and then I've, Thing, like looking at people like Jenny Graham, for example, I think she's she's inspired loads of people getting into cycling because <laughs> they kind of see the person and they kind of go like, I could do this. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't need to be rich. I don't need to be. Uh, I don't have. You know, like if 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 someone manages to cycle around the world in the in the way she did it, which is fantastic, fantastic um, journey. Um, then I might be able to do that as well. And and I think this is the kind of thing. And I was very, it is called Great British Gravel Rides. But to be honest, you can, you know, I think it's a good book to grab your mountain bike as well um, and, and go exploring. There's some some trails in there which are on the more technical side of gravel riding. Um, and when, so when I approached people, I didn't tell them you need to have a gravel bike I, my approach was basically, look, it needs to be a route which is cyclable on a gravel bike. So try to put yourself in someone's shoes who's on a drop bar bike with 40 millimeter tires. And, you know, like the route should be doable on that. Although some, you know, the Monica Pass and um, two of the routes in Scotland, you can do them on a gravel bike. But, you know, I think I would also say there would be a hell of a fun on a mountain bike at the same time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
but you know, Grant rocked up with a single speed um, mountain bike um, with Thunderbird tires. And I said to him, look, brilliant, this is cool. You know, cause like, you know, gravel cycling, I think in a way is something which is a little bit more I, at the moment. And this is the beauty about it is at a stage where there's no real restrictions. There's no real definitions, you know, like we are moving more into the, you know, diversifying gravel bikes, whatever. But at this, at the moment, we are in a stage where you can pretty much ride whatever bike you think is a gravel bike. And, you know, there's, that's, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think this is, this is the book. And yeah, it's just, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it gives people an incentive to look a little bit more just beyond the roots and, and kind of like, because a lot of the work I'm doing with route mapping, I think, I think in an ideal world that should inspire people to use that as a starting point, but then kind of find out what they like to write, what their ideal adventure is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just to hark back to the Kenneth Brothers books. Um, you know, I was like, they were great because I, I cycled a lot of routes they had in a guidebook, but then there were also times where I felt like, hold on, you know, you can go a little bit further or this, this, this track is actually much better to ride. And I think this is, this is, this is what a, what a good guidebook should be doing. It should be, should be inspiring you to get out your maps or your route planning app or, you know, ask a few locals while you're in the area, what else there is to do. Yeah, definitely. And it's what I like about it is, you know, when you look at a book like this, you, you almost initially think, well, you have to be super fit and you have to be super into it and you need all the best gear. But there's there's routes in there that are in the lower single digits and then there's routes that are in the high hundreds of kilometers, you know, so there's something in there for everybody. Was that something you wanted to include in the book? Yeah, that was the idea. And, um, and I also think like, even if a route is longer, um, you can just do chunks of it. Mm. You know, like it's um, no one stops you from, you know, you don't have to do the whole route. Um, yeah, that was the idea behind it. Cause I do think that, and that's, I think this is also like, it, it, it goes two ways. Cause you know, I've been on the extreme end of the cycling spectrum by racing ultra endurance, by going around the world. Um, and, after all of that, and I was always driven, you know, it always had to be long and gnarly and hard in order to be fun. Like, you know, I think in yeah. this, like now I'm at a stage where I'm kind of go like, I don't need this. Like, I think just to commute home today um, is a good example for that. Um, just it can be only 10 kilometers and it can this that can be a good ride. I think my definition of a good ride is no longer attached to a certain amount of climbing and kilometers and technical difficulty whatsoever. Um, And and I think this is where, I think in general, I would like cycling to to go as well um, is to, so, you know, even if you're a super confident rider and you've done ultra endurance racing, I would argue you can do the shortest route, which is around open and you'll have a lot of fun because mm. you can simply stop at a really nice restaurant and have a pint there <laughs> <laughs> or, or a coffee or whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, and, and, and it's a quiet route. You've got some amazing views, you know, and, and this is the kind of, and likewise, 
um, for someone who's who's who is new and and looks at the um, further eastward from Josh Ibbett, which is six hundred kilometers, which is pretty daunting, you know, mm. if you if you haven't daunting for I don't know. 99.5% or 99.9% of the population, um, you know, I would argue there's like the majority of people in this country don't even consider cycling 400 miles a year. <laughs> yeah. But you can break this up, you know, you can just do a short bit. So I try to, as much as possible, I, and this is the reason why there's um, places to stop in there. Um, I think like, give yourself as much time or as little time as you want. Um, I think this is the simple concept behind it. So for the people who want to spend longer, they've got some cues in the book about history, about places to stop where there's nice local cuisine. Um, and the people who just simply want to get around the routes, that's totally fine as well. You know, there's this like, there's, 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 there's no such, um, wide way of doing things you know and 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 in the research project process that was interesting as well because everyone was different and i found it quite interesting i do a lot of filmmaking these days and um in order to make a good film you really need to understand your subject and you need to engage with the people you're working with and you know you you got like normally you got about 10 minutes when you start writing with people you know you got a little bit of time to get to know each other um, and then you're out there and there were some people who were kind of really fast <laughs> and there were other people who were much, much slower. And, and, and the beauty of doing the book is like, you know, it does, I, I, I enjoyed both ways, you know, it was just, it was, a, it was just a nice thing. And hopefully it's, it's a book that people can go on a journey and I would encourage to, you know, I think your natural thinking about the journey is from, from shorter routes to longer routes. But I would also turn that coin around and say, go on a journey from the longer routes to the shorter routes. You know, if you're an ultra endurance rider, cycle the really long one first and then gradually go down until you come down at the 20 kilometer route. <laughs> and you'll possibly find out, well, this is pretty cool. You know, they are kind of like they're not really that different other than they have a different length and a slightly yeah. different riding ability skill as well. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Cool. Like. Is there any, you know, obviously you've you've uh, edited it through and looked through the book and stuff. Is there any routes in there you haven't done that you would think, wow, I have to do that? Um, so I've written all the routes myself. Oh, have you really? Every single kilometer, yeah. Really? Um, that is the um, so that's the that's the bikepacking Scotland um, principle as well, and and pretty much every article I write. Um, I, yeah, I've written everything in the book myself um, with the people. So I met them and we cycled the routes together. No. Um, um, and because that's the kind of thing. And this is, you know, if, if you do a guidebook, you you got you know, you got a responsibility towards your reader as well, because obviously people want to. Um, and this is the reason why you're buying a guidebook and possibly don't research everything yourself so you can make sure someone's done that job for you already so like all the routes um, and then what we've done so it's a long process it's basically um i organized all the people um then we fixed down a date where i would meet them and ride with them 
Um, in terms of the research, I try to do as much on public transport as possible. There's only a fair few rides in there, which um, for quite uh, for Critfest in Wales, for example, I was doing some filming down there, so I had to drive down. Um, but other than that, there was pretty much or kind of either done by public transport or at least bolted onto something. Um, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, then I wrote all the routes um, with the people together and then um, did the write up and then it went to the editing process as well. So um, all of those routes in the book, they've been triple checked basically. They've been wow. checked by me. So checked by writing them with the people, then double checked again afterwards in terms of if there were some small sections in there which could potentially be taken up by something else. Um, and then the editor went through the routes as well to kind of check them in terms of legality, especially in Wales and England, uh, in, in Wales and England and Scotland. It's it's I did check it as well because although you have access rights in Scotland, which are very very um, yeah pretty good, sometimes I also think you know if you if you write to someone's farmyard and you don't have to, I don't really see a reason why you know even if if you're technically allowed to do it you know it, it comes it all comes down to common sense and you know having like you know i also want to have a guidebook where people you know where local people are not saying oh this is gonna you know increase usage on certain trails where we don't want more people so mm -hmm. all of this came into consideration um so yeah hopefully i mean you know, again, the nature of the guidebook is things change. So possibly in a couple of years time, there might be slightly small alterations to route. Um, but then all the routes are accessible as GPX files. So it's, you know, somewhere along the way, I know that things are changing, then we can always update um, those GPX files as well. Yeah, wow, wow. Um, now, for somebody, Marcus, wanting to get involved in this that hasn't really much experience in bikepacking or gravel rides or something, like, is your bike pack in Scotland website a good resource for that? Because I know you do a lot of newsletters and stuff on there as well. Would that be somewhere that they should check out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a good starting point. Like, I mainly focus on routes. Um, and um, so um, I think if people are looking for technical advice, what kit to take, so my... <laughs> and this is kind of like, this is due to my personal approach as well. So... Um, it's a great starting point if you want to know where to go in Scotland and, you know, don't want to have to do all the research, um, then you can download all the routes as GPX files. You'll get, for most routes, um, additional information as well. Um, what I don't advise people on is wild camping spots and stuff like this, because I do think that's just sometimes ends up that you've you know that is the reason why some places become too popular um, yeah like um so kind of a middle middle way in between <laughs> um, yeah you get um, everybody arriving at the same place and camping up at the same time yeah. um <laughs> exactly yeah and this is this uh, for, I, I think for me the whole concept of bikepacking and adventure cycling is basically to get away not to get away from people because I don't like people, but sometimes it's just really nice to be in nature. And, you know, if I'm pitching my tent somewhere, I'm the sort of person I do not want to pitch my tent with 10 other people at the same spot. Although I recognize there's also people who possibly need some 
comfort or need other be in the surrounding of other people in, in order to make it less scary for them that's cool as well so i don't as i said before and there's no such right way um and and the newsletters are are good idea to you know to get to know where there's new projects so a lot of my work basically is developing new routes and 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 making films and and inspiring people that way mm-hmm. um, and i think the best advice if you're looking into there's a bike pack in scotland facebook group as well which is independent from from the lot of stuff i'm doing i'm i'm the admin but that's possibly as far as it goes without these days um, and that really is about, you know, peer, peer-to-peer advice. You know, if you, you know, if you want to know what other people are using in terms of equipment, that's a great place to go. Um, my general take on that is what I found out with myself in terms of kit and bikes, that is a very personal decision sometimes. Mm, yeah. You know, I've, I've had people saying that bike rides like a donkey and I kind of like, I love it. You know, like, <laughs> I, just like, you know, there's... I think there's obvious things, but then there's also it's single speed riding is a good example for that. You know, I love single speed riding. I know that people would hate it in some circumstances. And this is why my general advice on that sort of is possibly do a few trips and you very quickly find out what works for you, what doesn't. You know, a, a, a tiny tent, which I'm using super lightweight, 600 grams is ideal for what I'm doing. But if people don't like condensation, then then it's not the right thing to take. Yeah. You know, it's that I, I always think kit is very personal. Sometimes my general advice to people is if you see me riding with a bike or with a certain tire or a tent, those are conscious decisions like, you know, and, and, and they're conscious decisions based on experience as well. So I I wouldn't swap my tent or my tires if I wouldn't see some sort of benefit in it so instead of doing a review <laughs> and, and i also think it's quite tricky because i'm sponsored by some companies um if you see me riding with a certain bike or tire or whatever a certain piece of kit i'm using i like it and i think it's a good piece of kit <laughs> yeah so if you trust my opinion then take that as an endorsement but i also know that there's so much stuff out there um you know any of the kit we're using these days it's all up for the job (laughs) i always think like you know people people went to the south pole with cotton tents a hundred years you know and they survived they're still no longer alive but you know they so a lot of the stuff is doable with basic equipment if you want some nice equipment it possibly makes it a little bit more pleasant but it's not necessary yeah, yeah, good advice, good advice for sure. Um, so, Marcus, uh, regarding future plans, have you got anything, any big trips planned in the near future you can tell us about? Anything like that? Another book, possibly? What What's your thinking? Yeah, so there's another book in the making, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I've just started researching on. Um, so um, that will be out. What it will be is, is, is still a bit secret, but it, yeah, yeah. It's, you can possibly... <laughs> put one and one together um from the chat um and um yeah currently i'm working on um a really interesting film project with mark Bormont and jenny quayam we cycled the boundary of argyle um in scotland um so that film is going to come out very very soon 
Um, and then there's a few, I'm working on another route in the Cairngorms in September. So it's it's a four day trip and the film as well. Um, and a few smaller projects in the pipe as well. Um, and, oh, this is really important actually. Um, the book's gonna be a film as well. So- um, Really? I, yeah, so I did film as well as taking pictures. Um, and so there's going to be a documentary about gravel cycling based on the people featured in the book um, coming out this year as well, uh, very likely just before Christmas. Um, and like, I think it's going to be, so it's not going to be a book in a film because again, like certain media. So it, like, it's basically, it's, it's basically a portrait of those people featured in the book. And I think you'll get to know you even get a better understanding for what the routes are like because you'll get some nice drone footage and 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 the kind of thing. Um, how exactly the film's going to look like, I'm not entirely sure yet, but it will mm. be it will be available on YouTube at some stage. And yeah, this is this is this is a um, the next big big project to tackle for the rest of the summer and 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 for the autumn. And I'm also looking into doing a. Um, cold weather adventure i've always loved cycling in the snow so um i'm i just don't think i've got any time to do any races this year which is a bit sad um but in order to compensate for that i'm planning to do a bigger trip uh, in either january or february next year right wow your um your your schedule's filled already your calendar i'm sure has got a lot of a lot of dates marked off i know it's, um, and i think this is kind of like i was looking at this and i think this is an, in some shape or form like one of those hungover things from lockdown as well so the book's one um that's a really positive one but i think it was interesting to kind of like because you're I don't know. It's, you all of a sudden became uber productive because yeah. it was this un. It had never been there, you know. It was just kind of like I was like I work self-employed. I'm a freelance, and I was like, oh wow, this is you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen now. Yeah. <laughs> and and then yeah, so I kind of like I piled up quite a lot of work just to kind of like I just want to make sure that I'm on the safe side. Um, it's not for me. Work is not about um, yeah, yeah. Okay, to a certain extent, that would be unfair to say, and and people would possibly question that as well. I do work to make an income. That's you know, I think it's possibly one of the normalest thing in the world. But I, the reason why I've ended up with quite a lot of projects that are running parallel, that I just had a really keen interest in doing it. You know, and and I was like, this is cool. Like I'm working on a another documentary at the moment for Wild Scotland, which doesn't really have anything to do with cycling. Um, but it's been just a really nice project to get involved in. And yeah, so um, once all of those nice projects are over, I'm also t- planning to take a little bit of time off, but that's probably <laughs> likely to happen next year at some stage. Yeah, and you'll probably take time off and jump on a bike and go somewhere. <laughs> yeah, although I was just, yes, I will. I, and, and this is the kind of thing, like I think I've, um, I've done, you know, I would, I've, I've, I pretty much cycled with very little breaks in between since 2010 now, like doing, you know, cycle touring and in, in, in various shapes and forms, bike packing, mountain biking, and there's still 
there's no moment where you kind of go like I'm I'm getting bored of that, which is I think is a good thing um, because it just kind of like I think if there would ever be a time where I said this is getting boring, then I would possibly try to switch to something else. But I hope hope that's never going to happen. But I just worked on um, so in the documentary, there's a new snorkel um, and wild swimming trail in Scotland, and that was awesome yeah (laughs) i think the time off will hopefully be um doing cycling as a means of getting to other cool places and doing other cool activities so like snorkeling wild swimming surfing kayaking i love kayaking um Mm -hmm. so you know anything and it it possibly pack rafting as well this is one thing i haven't tried out yet but it's pretty much high up on the list things to do yeah, that would be a pretty rad take on it, actually. Something different, but... <laughs> it's yeah. quite daunting. I, I do have a lot of respect. Um, I have respect for nature in general, but I've got much more respect for water, like in terms of the personal performance. Um, mm-hmm. and again, it's kind of like... This is, this is, this is based on experience, because I have very little experience on the water. Um, so I'd like to get a bit more... Yeah, so watch the space. There's yeah. going to be more water involved than than. <laughs> classic, classic, Marcus. Um, so for people that want to find out a wee bit more, bro, where's the best place for them to get in contact with you? So uh, a couple of things. So like any of the bikepacking side of things is bikepackingscotland.com and there's a few social media channels as well, which are, which are um, uh, more or less frequently updated. Um, my personal channels, so... Um, if you get the, if you buy the book, which would be great, um, you'll get some information there, but, um, my website is marcusstitz.com and, um, there's various social media channels. I'm mostly active on YouTube, Twitter, and, um, Instagram and Facebook to a certain extent as well. Um, only place where you won't find me at the moment is TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that's enough. Decision is just simply not having the time to do it, um, yeah. and so that's one thing. Um, I'm also running two events, um, which are called the Dorset Dirt Dash and the Noon Dirt Dash. Um, one of them is in October, the other one is in May. So the Noon is coming up um, on the first and the second of October. So um, if you want to ride. Um, a nice weekend, um, nice trails, get some nice local food and have a good time. That's a good, good, good starting point. Um, and yeah, and then the other thing, I, well, the obvious, most obvious choice, if you if you don't, um, if your memory is not the greatest, just Google Marcus and single speed and eventually you'll end up somewhere. Pretty <laughs> 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 um, But yeah, with the book, um, the book's available pretty much everywhere um mm-hmm. you, can, you can order a signed copy from my website so if you go to that's easy just create british um there'll be more information about the book on that website at the moment it redirects to my website and you can go order a signed copy there um or order it from adventurebooks.com that's vertebrate um you can also get it from amazon and whatever online retailers um and yeah Hopefully, hopefully, I haven't checked it yet, um, but it is hopefully in, in nice bookstores as well, because I think there's something really nice and old-fashioned about this. Um, yeah, yeah. Going to a nice bookstore with a cup of coffee and just having a look at some interesting things, it's cool. 
and it is kind of a little bit like a coffee table book um it's possibly the sort of format which is a little bit too bulky to take with you um but it's just you know i want it to be a book that people buy and come back and there will yes. be this you know there will be times where they possibly don't look at it because it doesn't fit in with their life and that is totally fine um and there's other times where they've where people got a bit of free time and go like oh this is cool but there's also and this is this is this is why i included other other routes as well so for each route you'll get basically the route and all the description but you'll also get a list of stuff um like that can be either mountain bike or gravel trails um or sustenance routes um what else is interesting in doing and i think this is the kind of this is the moment where you can um sit down with a nice cup of tea or coffee get the map out and just look at where you could go so hopefully it's a bit of incentive for that mm. no it's very much a coffee book it's a lovely book just to delve into and out of and as you say go back to and stuff i think i yeah. think it really works itself well for that and that's a beautiful thing to have sitting when you've got 10 minutes at lunch or something just to you know flick through and have a read through it'll certainly inspire you to go and do something yeah and it's kind of, yeah, yeah, hopefully people use it that way. But, you know, that's up to everyone. Mm-hmm. How, how they, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. It, I did proofread it in a whole weekend. So <laughs> wow. It's doable to read the whole thing in a weekend. But you need some, you need some serious time for that. And it's probably <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, listen, Marcus, it's been awesome getting you on the show. I really enjoyed our chat. And you've, uh, You've certainly got a lot of experience and you've got a lot of stuff happening in the future. So it's uh, it's great to have you in Scotland over here. And, you know, I'm sure you still love home in Germany, but we need you here. So please stay. Yeah? <laughs> and hopefully I'll do some. I feel a little bit bad that I didn't include Northern Ireland into it. So watch this place. <laughs> it, will, it will hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a great and you know I owe a lot to Scotland as well because this is where I really kind of got into all of this. So mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's um, it's um, yeah, it's home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool, man, cool. Well, listen, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate everything you're doing there, and I hope the book has been it's available now, and I hope it's been going very very well for you. So I can't see why not, but. Um, Thank you. Thanks for the chat. Yeah, no bother, no bother. Well, stay stay safe on the trails, and I will be keeping an eye on your YouTube posts and stuff. You've got loads, loads happening there, so um, good luck out there, mate, and I look forward to the rest of your stuff coming out yeah. in the near future. Thanks for chatting with me. Cheers. That's a wrap for episode 218, folks. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you learned a little bit more about bikepacking and what this great country has to offer and I hope Marcus does come over to Ireland and to the north of Ireland here and man that would be awesome to get him over right I couldn't follow him though he'd be too fast and want to go too far but anyway it'd be good to see him and good to get him over here jotting down some of the great trails and the great gravel scene that we have here as well so Marcus listen thanks so much for coming on the podcast it was a pleasure to chat to you and I hope all your plans go well for the rest of the year and for the near future i know you've lots planned and i know you will get it done sir so all the best for the near future now guys if you want to know a little bit more about what we chatted about on this episode just simply go to the show notes you'll find them at mtb-tribe.com search for marcus's episode and you'll get links to all his socials and everything he's got going on there because he's got quite a bit going on you'll get 
quick and easy link to bike pack in scotland where you can find lots of info if you want to get interested in gravel riding now if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to show your support i don't need any money or anything like that the best thing you can do to help me out is simply by subscribing rating and reviewing us on whatever podcast platform you listen to your shows on all your ratings and all your reviews helps boost us on the old algorithms and helps spread the word about the show to more people you can also visit our website mtb-tribe.com where you can find the complete bike catalogue listen and download every show from there for free you can also subscribe there and get an email on the day each new episode is aired so you don't miss it and you've got an easy link to listen to the podcast you can also get involved on social media you will find us at mtv tribe on instagram and facebook and if you want to get in contact with me directly the best way is via email info at mtbtribe.com i do read all emails and i will get back to you that's all i have for you this week guys and girls and i hope you're getting out the bikes over this good weather and hitting the trails but i will be with you shortly with another episode of the mtb tribe podcast but until then as always get the bikes out hit the trails and stay mtb stoked <laughs>